Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Crusher Cove with Lev. The tale of the tape on TheBoxingRant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on TheBoxingRant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans, and welcome back to episode 82 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith. And back with me for this special Golovkin versus Lemieux preview episode of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing Podcasts, my co-host, Vince Cummings. What up, Vince? What up, brother? We've been, uh, we've been waiting patiently for this one, huh? Yes, sir. It is on the horizon at the mecca of boxing. Madison Square Garden, October 17th, HBO, pay-per-view. This fight has, man, this is the can't-miss action fight of can't-miss action fights that people are repeatedly telling you that you can't miss this action fight. This one almost certainly is going to deliver, is it not? No, Yeah, I don't think there's any way that it doesn't. So let's just get right down to breaking down this fight because, you know, in my opinion, man, I don't think that, yeah, I guess you can argue that the Cotto Canelo fight, which has almost as much um, very similar meaning to this one and the fact that we are having the four best, most dangerous middleweights in the division squaring off in what is, for all intents and purposes, without them formally labeling it, <laughs> a middleweight tournament. Yeah, a final four. Right. Golovkin Lemieux, Triple G versus the Canadian Clubber to unify the WBA and IBF middleweight titles. Vince, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, has his detractors have ridiculed, have bashed their punchline, their number one go-to, the only thing they hang their hats on. He hasn't fought anybody. Yeah, uh, like it's his fault. Like, like no, Like, not every middleweight in the division is absolutely scared shitless of fighting him um that's the way it looks to me i mean am i blind no i mean you're not blind but let's also let's also consider the last 10 middleweights that he's fought Mm -hmm. they've all been ranked within the top 15 right more than we could say for wilder huh (laughs) yeah i mean the guys fought the best available middleweight that will raise their hand and step in the ring with this guy you know I don't know if it's a if it's a racial thing, if it's a fact that there is a light-skinned, uh, exciting fighter that seems to be seizing the mantle from the um, the Floyd Mayweather sycophants, the ones that are you know more concerned with style over substance. Triple G is more concerned with substance over style. Yeah, um, and you know what? And that it's not just that, but you know, it's the fighting style, it's the personality, it's the way he goes about his business. Um, this guy, he represents, and it's not just boxing, I think. I think it's any sport. Mm-hmm. He represents all of the things. He has all of the ingredients into great, respectable, admired athletes 
in any sport across the board. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to not like about this guy. You can't find it. He's just he he just enthralls everybody that that sees him. You're, you're just like, oh man, this guy's so. He brings that that ridiculous, just savage style, and then he's just gets on the mic, and you're like, this guy is he's freaking hilarious, man, and he doesn't even try to be. He's trying to endear himself to the fans by by learning English and sounding goofy as hell, but it works, man. It, it just works. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of a lot of foreign fighters make the mistake when they come to the United States by having this sort of standoffish, flat out refusal, right, um, to participate in American culture. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be American. You don't have to make English your primary language. Um, you know, you don't have to do any of that. Just acknowledge it. Yeah, but if you're, it, it does help to be able to interact and communicate with your fan base. Yes. And he does it, like you said, on a very, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very basic, a very simple, simple level, but it is, it's the attempt. And his English is getting better and better. You hear all of yeah. his, all of his interviews in the, um, you know, there's no doubt about it, but he understands his promotional company, K2, Tom Loeffler, they understand Gennady Golovkin understands that for him to become what he can be, okay, that it's going to take a little bit more than just his fighting style. Right. But here's the thing. He has something that his detractors, his contemporaries around him, um, many of the fighters in his division, a lot of the fighters in today's boxing universe that aren't willing to sort of fight in this, you know, uh, this dare to be great risk all kind of style. Right. Um, he has that as the foundation of what he does. And that alone will bring in casual fans. Mm-hmm. Right. He's told us a hundred times he's, he's a throwback fighter, man. That's he wants to he harkens back to the days where it, the days that everybody, any boxing pundit reveres like. Oh, the, the 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 old school fight, the throwback fight, and that's what he tries to bring, and he brings it. I mean, almost better than it was back then. He is something that is just there's not there's only one Golovkin in boxing right now. There's nobody that's anywhere close to what he brings. Let me ask you, in your opinion, we, you know, we talk about this for um, you know for most of the big uh, the big shows, the big events, right? Um, we always talk about the feel, the vibe, the promotion. Uh, the build-up, everything surrounding an event. Um, you know, perfect example uh, of a most recent fight, uh, the Adrian Broner-Khabib uh, Alakverdiev fight. There was a, a circus, a bit of, uh, you know, just kind of despicable um, wheelings and back backroom dealings surrounding that fight. Um, a guy that has become uh, obsessed with the material possessions of this world and his boxing has suffered because of it. So the approach there was not to have any kind of a promotion to really fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that became pretty apparent that that was their strategy going into it because they didn't want to make, they didn't want to pile on because there were things in that promotion that could have been piled onto. We've seen it with the Leo Santa Cruz, Abner Mares promotion where, you know, we have friends that live in Los Angeles, Michael Montero from Montero unboxing, who has told me on this very show that that promotion going on the same time as the uh, Ricardo Mayorga, uh, Shane Mosley part two fight, he said that he did not see one billboard, one street advertising, not a single grassroots ground local level promotional effort by the PBC in that fight that he said that 
every other block, there was a billboard with Sugar Shane Mosley and Ricardo Mayorga fight poster on it. They were putting fight posters, plastering them to park benches. They were hiding tickets under seats and telling fans to tweet and reach under the seat and find free tickets to the fight. Right. Like, there was a huge concerted effort into that promotion, right? So we've seen all the different ends of the spectrum. What is your feeling right now? What have you seen from a national effort, from, you know, uh, from PR, radio, TV? Uh, what are you hearing from casual fight, uh, no, casual sport fans that don't pay attention to the right. sport of boxing? What is your total sort of view on how this has gone so far? There, there's a, you know, I, w- I don't want to say the promotion has been that outstanding. Uh, they've done a good job. It's out there. They got the HBO specials, and they're, they're doing a better job than you know, you would have expected. But I, I really think in, in this case, Ken, you put Golovkin, Lemieux, and, and anybody who watches Golovkin, they'll go and tell their, their friend, like, dude, you got to watch this guy. Like, I don't care if you don't like boxing. This guy is, right now, he's like, he's, for your dollar, he's the best entertainment in sports, I feel like. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, it, it doesn't require... You don't have to sit down and, and put together a sales pitch to talk your casual sports fan no. friends into watching. You don't have to sit down and be like, dude, I know boxing has taken a shit on your expectations before, right. but I, I swear to you, this guy's the truth. I Give swear us a chance, man. <laughs> you don't have to do that with no. him. You just have to say, watch this video. Yeah. And then watch this nine-minute greatest hits video of Golovkin. Exactly. And you'll be sold. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Have you heard any – have you seen any commercials? Have you – I, you know, I've heard nothing along the lines of, of what Mayweather Pacquiao was the week leading up to that fight. And obviously it's not nearly as nationally big as that. But, yeah, I, I've kind of – I really haven't seen too, too much. Have you? Yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, – you know, I've seen commercials on TV, like, uh, you know, the on-demand commercials for, right. the, you know, for the pay-per-view. I've seen those on Comcast. Um, I've, I've heard a couple radio commercials. I saw uh, Triple G in an Apple Watch commercial. Did you see that? I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, no. it's for the new Apple Watch, and he's like he's shadow boxing. I'm surprised they don't they didn't put him on like uh, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon or some something like that. I mean, they may have, and they may. They're still we're still the week of the fight. Right. I mean, he could make those appearances this week. I mean, it's all in New York. It's right there. Yeah. So I mean, as far as what we know and what we don't know, I, honestly, I don't, I don't know about that stuff. But as far as like the actual promotion of the fight goes, um, you know. I think all in all, there's a, a big positive vibe. I think the tickets the, uh, are completely sold out. Yeah. Um, this is going to be the exact, this is the antithesis of the fight crowd that attended Mayweather Pacquiao. Oh, yeah. These are rabid boxing fans that are just, uh, we we want these matchups so bad and we never get them. We At least we feel like it. And it, they come around maybe once a year you get the fight like this. Yeah. This year we happen to get two of them. Um. Yeah. When something like that happens, every boxing fan gets so geeked up, man. This is for fight fans. This is a fight fans fight. Exactly. You know, there's no, no other way to describe this fight. Yeah, and um, and and that that's why the tickets went so fast. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're they were reasonably priced. Um, seventy five percent of the tickets were under a hundred bucks. Right. You know, and that makes it accessible. Mm-hmm. That allows people. You know, the, the only knock on the Cotto Canelo promotion is that they're having it in an arena when that fight could easily be held at the Alamo Dome where right. Canelo has fought Austin Trout and sold 35,000 tickets. Yeah, yeah. And to be able to sell that many t- – I mean, there's not a fighter in boxing that sells that many tickets, in, in America anyways. Just Canelo. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, you know, 
I think what you have now franchise wise for fighters in the States, you have Golovkin, Cotto, and you have to, you know, I know I know Canelo is is Mexican and he speaks very, very little English whatsoever, but he mm-hmm. fights in America. Right. So for all intents and purposes, this is where this is where he fights. Yeah, he's American based. Right. So you have Triple G now can sell out a twenty thousand seat arena. Miguel Cotto can sell out a twenty thousand seat arena. And we've seen Canelo sell thirty five, forty thousand tickets against eh. I mean, not big names. I no. mean, boxing fans know who James Kirkland is. Yeah, nobody outside of boxing knows James Kirkland. Right. Boxing fans know who Austin Trout is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody else knows who Austin Trout nope. is. Nope. Unless you were a passerby that happened to be at a fight party when Miguel Cotto fought Austin Trout. Right. So, yeah, I think what we've seen is, is now all the hard work of, of Tom Loeffler um, and K2 promotions, the way that they have built Gennady Golovkin up coast to coast, east coast, west coast. They fought him in Europe. Um, they have built his fan base. He's become an infectious personality. His fighting style speaks for itself. They went after the global fan base. Wow. Wow, brilliant. Well, I mean, you can't just, you know, uh, if you you want a guy like Deontay Wilder to replace Mayweather um, and you want him to be this recognized global figure but an American heavyweight champion who just comes flat out and says, I'm not leaving the United States. I'm going to fight right here. Yeah. Against you know, and it and it it takes away from what you have to be to there 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 was a time. I know a lot of boxing fans that are a lot younger than us that have no idea that there was actually an era where world champion the title world champion actually meant something more than having a belt. Right. It meant that you fought around the world and you beat the best fighters in the world. Yep. It's not like that anymore. We have that in this fight though. We do. Um, we have a Canadian. Mm-hmm. We have a Kazakh, right? How, what a odd matchup. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's crazy to think that there would be a collision that if somebody would have told you 10 years ago as a young boxing fan and said, hey, Vin, 10 years from now, there's going to be the most popular boxer in the world is going to be from Kazakhstan. He's going to sell out a fight against the Canadian to unify the middleweight championship of the world at Madison Square Garden. I would have told you, is that a Borat character? Yeah, I mean. It doesn't seem real. Yeah, you know, and on the undercard, you know, we have a fighter from Nicaragua. We have a fighter from Hawaii. We have a fighter from Ireland. We have a fighter from the Bahamas. We have a fighter from Cuba. I mean, this is a, this is the United Nations fight card right here. That's a mixing bowl right there, boy. Right, and what better city? to have it than an international city mm-hmm. like New York. This event is for everybody. Yep. And, you know, I know that, a pri- you know, primarily the listenership of this show tunes in, um, you know, di- they're diehard boxing fans. Right. You know, we speak a kind of a geeky language. It's almost like being a Star Trek fan and you start speaking Klingon. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, that's what it is to listen to boxing people talk about boxing. Right. But if you do listen to the show casually, if you know us and don't really follow the sport that much, Find somebody that's buying the pay-per-view, or if you want a guaranteed night of entertainment um, and you just want to watch great sports, you want to watch combat sports at the highest, most exciting level. And I, I'm telling you right now, you can send an email and call and, and, and accuse me of being a, a, a salesman and a, a poster boy and uh, you know accuse, falsely accuse me for working for one of these promotional companies. I have no tie or affiliation. I've never met Oscar De La Hoya. I have never met Tom Loeffler. I've never spoken to either of them. Okay? As, far, as far as I'm concerned, if you're not behind this fight and excited about it, you're just being a contrarian. You're just being an asshole. Yeah, you're just being a dickhead. Yeah. You're just being an Andre Ward fan. Yep. 
um, the Canadian clubber, David Lemieux. I remember, um, in all honesty, and I, I remember I've seen, I can't, even, I can't even count how many fights I've seen at, at, at your house over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and memorable performances from, you know, back in the day watching Kelly Pavlik's rise. Right. Right. Um, all the way up until I think it was, I guess we're coming on a year and a half ago was the first time that I saw David Lemieux fight, and it was at your house, mm-hmm. right? I didn't really know much about him, and it was the Fernando Guerrero fight. Right. And I remember watching that fight, man, and watching the way that David Lemieux, because we weren't talking about David Lemieux. No. Okay? No. We weren't talking about that fight at all. And we're sitting there playing cards, watching this fight, and we see David Lemieux shoot out of a cannon and completely maul Fernando Guerrero. And I said to you, I remember this vividly. I said to you, I was like, what about that dude? That dude right there is the truth. Yeah. Is the truth. And we sit here now, David Lemieux, the IBF champion of the world. Yeah, a, a guy who overcome, overcame some early troubles in his career. And, and just a young, young guy who probably got a little full of himself. Good-looking dude. I'm sure women chasing him down left and right. He got caught up, took a couple L's a knockout to Marco Antonio Rubio that a lot of people like to point to I, that to me that is like it's doesn't mean anything at this point he's such a different fighter from 2012 to now he's refocused and you can tell he's just got that dude he's got an edge to him man he really does yeah i mean you know just look, I, look he's 26 years old now he was in his early 20s mm-hmm. um you know People don't realize is that like he was kind of the future of the franchise for Canadian boxing. Yep. I mean, he was in instructional videos as a small child in Canada. Like he was kind of raised with a spotlight on him to watch his progression until he became an adult to turn pro. Yeah, to him it was a formality. He was gonna be the best. Exactly. And you know, I mean, let's be honest, when you I'm not gonna say he was fed a silver spoon because right. he wasn't. But as far as um, everything kind of being laid out for you, everybody, everybody in your corner, your entire life telling you you're going to be champion of the world. Right. This kind of thing in your early 20s, not training hard, partying too much, is going to happen. And let's be honest, too. Marco Antonio Rubio was a different fighter in April of 2011 yeah. than he was when he stepped in the ring with Gennady Golovkin at the Stub Up Center last year. Yeah, uh, severely different, yes. Um, but, yeah, he, he is a different fighter. And I think the, the, the one thing that is most notable – uh, noticeable to me, and I, I think is the biggest standout difference with David Lemieux, uh, is his stamina. I mean, the dude's motor has always been there. Yeah. His ability to get past the, the fifth or sixth round without falling flat on his face and getting dog-ass tired wasn't there for a while. Yeah. You know? He kind of strikes me as the kind of guy that was probably when he was 22 leading up to the Marco Antonio Rubio fight that he was like smoking cigarettes in between sparring rounds. <laughs> right, he was May- Mayorga in the fight. Yeah, like he'd had like a, you know, uh, he had like a glass of red wine and he's like sitting there like smoking a Marlboro Red. Okay, guys, let's go in for the next round. <laughs> I mean, what stands out to you with David Lemieux as far as then and now? What do you see as the biggest difference? Uh, the biggest difference is definitely stamina and it's definitely career focus and, and, and wanting to actually, like as before it may have been, him thinking he's the best automatically. Now he actually wants to be the best. And you could see that in the way he fights now. That dude, that fight against Endom, that performance was unbelievable. And the fact that not only that he dominated the fight, but the fact that he kept it up, that pressure for 12 rounds, 
That was insane, man. I, I don't know if there's any other fighter that can give you what he gave in that fight for 12 rounds. Yeah, um, from beginning to end. Yeah. There was no let up at mm -hmm. all. No. And in like all the credit in the world to Endom's ability to survive all the way, you know, as far into that fight as he survived, you know, to be able to make it the distance in a fight where he gets dropped over and over and over and over again. He also had moments where uh, he rocked David Lemieux a couple times in that fight. Yeah, I think Lemieux, Lemieux proved that he's he's got a pretty decent beard in that fight because, yeah, he was getting touched by, by Endom. And, and quite often, I want to say Endom won four or five rounds in that fight. Oh, easily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was a, it was actually a really close fight. I mean, really, the difference in the scorecards, had there not been so many knockdowns, we're talking about a 115-113 fight. I mean, that's the way the scorecards read anyways, because on, yeah, one of them would have been a draw. Right. Because one of them was 114 to 110, and the other two were 115 to 109. Yeah, very, very close without the knockdowns. Yeah, so, I, I mean. I think that goes to show you, Lemieux is, there's, he really has no intentions of going 12 rounds. He's going for the kill. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, whether you think it's his improved um, wind that he's able to make it to the end uh, or it is his improved focus, you know, I think the fact of the matter is, is that with this guy, uh, David Lemieux, is that his focus is that of a hungry fighter and not an entitled one. Yeah, and, and, and at 26 years old, wanting to be the best, I mean, that you know, there's not too many guys in boxing like, like him right now today. I mean, just... No fear. Absolutely no fear. No, none whatsoever. All right, let's get to the actual fight itself. What is your take? How is this going to unfold? What do these fighters need to do, Vince? Oh, I, you know, both, are, both of them are going to try to put their imprint on the fight. I think for on the Lemieux side of things, it has got to be pressure, 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 pressure. I mean, just nonstop. Yeah. You cannot fall into letting... Golovkin kind of trapes you around the ring and cuts you off and puts you on the ropes. If that happens early, he's in he's in trouble big time. We, we're going to have to see Lemieux just with a almost more relentless than the end down fight, I think. And it, it, it's it's going to be it's going to come with a certain bit of recklessness, and he's going to take chances. He's going to one one of the things that I you know you see Golovkin fights and a lot of the times he's a guy that. He will receive your punch at the same time he is mid-punch. Nobody's actually been strong enough to kind of nobody's, – uh, nobody else's punches have been strong enough to knock Golovkin off of his base while he's mid-punch. If Lemieux can get that left hook in there and, and Golovkin's in mid-punch, I think Lemieux might actually have the power to take away the power from Golovkin's punch, and that could be a difference in this fight. But I also feel like – Golovkin is such a refined fighter. Like he, he almost doesn't get enough respect as for his boxing skills. He, he's yeah. such a good boxer, man. Obviously, he doesn't. He's not a jab and, and set you up guy. He's just a seek and destroy. But it it involves unbelievable footwork and boxing. Mm -hmm. It really does. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I I, uh, I agree with everything you just said there. I mean. I think that his potential in this fight is going to be beating Golovkin to the punch. Yeah. I think as far as hand speed is concerned, I may give the edge in this one to Lemieux. Yeah. You know, because I think he is very compact and short to the target. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say that Golovkin loops his punches by any means. It's that uh, the way that Golovkin loads his punches, he 
kind of throws everything from his torso mm -hmm. and from his shoulders, you know, yep. and from his back. He's not one of those punchers that kind of flicks everything from the rotator cuff. Right. You know, I mean, he turns and loads everything into it. Whereas, you know, David Lemieux, while these guys are equal in size and have equal reaches pretty much, um, seems to be very, very, everything is tight. Everything is within his shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, and he himself uses, you know, his uh, punches more with his legs and his foundation than anything else. I think if he can beat Golovkin to the punch, um, yeah, I, I, I think he can do some serious damage. The only thing that I really see where, you know, boxing skills aside, because we are kind of splitting hairs. I, I do agree. I think Golovkin is the more refined boxer. Mm -hmm. I think he's the more skilled boxer of the two. I think he'll, he'll, he will be able to leverage because it's kind of a toss-up with the power. Yeah. I think he'll be able to leverage that boxing skill. I think really the difference in this fight is going to be the straight punching ability of Golovkin. He is going to have to meet David Lemieux before David Lemieux can meet him. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And By and splitting it right down the middle. And that's where Endom had success against, yeah. success against Lemieux was going right down the middle. Yeah, yeah. No doubt about it. Um, so how do you see the, the, uh, um, the fight unfolding? I think it, it's going to be a very, very, very good fight and very close until later on in the fight when I think Lemieux may actually shoot his wad in this fight. He may actually get tired based on the just the, the, the overall just what this fight means to his career, just how big it is, his toughest opponent. I think there might be some nerves involved in this fight for him. Golovkin's, I don't think there's anything to worry about with him in that scenario. He, he can handle the situation. I worry more about Lemieux there, and I think Golovkin later on in the fight, ninth round, tenth round, KO. Yeah, I think the um, everything that you said, I think will 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 definitely play into um, how Lemieux handles this fight. Right. Take that, and then pile on the abusive punching power of Triple G. Mm -hmm. On top of that, that even becomes a heavier burden to bear. Yeah, I mean, we still, you know, we've seen that Lemieux has a decent chin. Endom's not exactly a big puncher. We're going to find out. How good is Lemieux's chin? If his chin is is top-notch, we're in for a really, really good fight, man. Yeah, I, you know, okay, my prediction for this fight is that it's not going to last that long. Yeah. And here's why. Because I think that David Lemieux is going to force Golovkin to get him out of there faster. I think David Lemieux is going to be so... Maybe not in the first round, mm -hmm. but in the second, third, fourth rounds of this fight, David Lemieux is going to put so much pressure on Golovkin that the only way that Golovkin is going to be able to get David Lemieux to stop is to stop him. Mm -hmm. You, you yeah. see what I'm saying? No, no, I definitely, yeah. Because otherwise, Golovkin's going to find himself in the sixth, seventh, eighth rounds of this fight fighting on his back foot. And down on the scorecards. Yeah, yeah, because I do think, I, I agree, we have rarely seen Golovkin lose a round. Right. I mean, he's lost maybe four or five rounds yeah. in, in the last and 20 he, fights. And he's given them up, probably. Yeah. Taking a break. Yeah. I mean, so I, the way I see the fight going is Lemieux and Golovkin both are going to be cautious in the opening round. Mm -hmm. Golovkin is going to get overwhelmed in the early rounds of this fight. Okay? And he is going to find himself having to launch his offense from a defensive posture. Right. He's going to get tired of that, and he is going to have to go on the offensive. You think he kind of flips the script on Lemieux and pulls a Lemieux on Lemieux like, you know what, I'm coming at you now. Yeah, and I just It think, is what it is. Yep, and I think he's just going to impose his strength on him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that 
Lemieux is a hella strong fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an ox. He's thick as hell. Um, we were watching the uh, the road to Golovkin Lemieux, my, and my wife was, you know, she she hasn't really seen. I don't think she's even seen David Lemieux fight, but maybe a couple rounds here and there. Right. And she was like, "Wow, he is from chest to back. Oh my god, he is thick as can be." And I said, "Yeah, that's where he gets his power from." Yep. Three. I mean, the, the dude, his large muscles, his legs, and his back. Enormous. That's why he punches so damn hard. And that's where the power comes from. It ain't coming from big arms. That, no. That's how you lose power sometimes when you have big arms. Yeah, exactly. My prediction for this fight is going to be a sixth-round knockout. A knockout of the year candidate? I think it's good. this this fight is going to end somewhere along those lines. I think that um, this is going to be a very bloody fight. A spinning, flailing to the mat. Caught you way off balance mid-punch. I just think David Lemieux is going to have an. He's going to go. He's going to hit the floor in epic fashion. This is going to be straight up Rocky Apollo Creed like yeah. pirouette to the ground. Mm-hmm. David Lemieux going in, laying it all on the line. You know his hair flops and a spit flies and a tooth goes the other direction. I'm just <laughs> getting a little dramatic here, but um, I think it's going to have that kind of energy. Yeah. Do you, I, one thing I don't agree with is the odds in this fight. 20 to 1? Yeah. I mean, look, um, almost nobody is picking Lemieux to, to win. I, for one, I will say this. I give him a chance in this fight. I, I, don't, I don't give him absolutely no chance to win this. He has the punching power and skill to give Golovkin major problems. It's going to determine, you know, where's his heart at that night? How, how much is he going to – how much is he willing to give? Is Lemieux going in there like, I will die to win this fight? Yeah. I think he is. <laughs> so do I. Yeah. And if that's the case, man, watch watch out. <laughs> Dude, I, I completely agree. I think if you look, I'm I'm going to put twenty bucks on Lemieux. Oh yeah, why not? Period. It makes sense. Yes. Because if there's ever a fight where a where a fighter is a huge underdog that has he has a look, he may only have a point zero five percent chance or five percent chance of winning this fight right because that's what the odds are telling him he's got a five percent chance to win this fight guess what he's got a 50 50 chance of acquiring that five percent chance exactly because the great equalizer is his punching power yeah i mean what if what if we see a kind of a remake of what we got when we were at at madison square garden where Cotto comes out and cracks uh sergio and that's it it's done that could very that could, that well could happen. happen. Yes. He could drop Golovkin in the first round with his first left hook he throws. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but here, you know, look, that could happen. Yeah. We didn't know at the time that Sergio Martinez didn't really train for the fight because he couldn't. Yeah. Because he had rubber bands holding his knees together. And all that footage that we saw in the lead up to the fight mm-hmm. was actually the moments, the very few moments that he was actually able to train for the fight. Yes. Um. I have a feeling that Glovkin is doing a little bit of training for this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, first pay-per-view for him. Yeah. This is, I mean, he's already a superstar. This is this is taking over boxing. He wins this in a big way. He's going to become a household name. Absolutely. You're going to see him on ESPN. You're going to see him cross, you know, he's going to cross the barrier of just boxing fans. Absolutely, man. Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, David Lemieux, this Saturday night, Madison Square Garden, HBO pay-per-view. Buy that shit. Yeah, if you don't, you're an idiot. <laughs> yes, you are an idiot. If you don't buy it, you should just go ahead and, um, yeah. Send me your address. I'll come up there, punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that would be, that's, that's, that's awful. I, I think I'll just order the fight, <laughs> you know? 
think I'll just order the fight. Um, yeah, it's going to be great, man. I'm really, really, really looking forward to being ringside for this one. Yeah, um, look um, at you, ringside. Bring in, get, get your ponchos ready. Yeah, right. I'm definitely, I'm bringing an umbrella. <laughs> I mean, I may look like an idiot, but I'm bringing an umbrella. No doubt about that whatsoever. Um, all right, let's get to the co-feature. It's not very often in a pay-per-view or in boxing in general that you get to transition from a fight like this into a co-feature on the very same card in support of that main event, that inevitable pending bloodbath mm-hmm. on the horizon of Golovkin Lemieux. But we get to transition into the number one pound-for-pound fighter as rated here by the Boxing Rant. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez does the deal defending his ring and WBC flyweight recognitions against Hawaiian Punch. Yeah, uh, uh, he's Hawaiian Punch for a reason. The dude brings it, and he's one of the biggest hitters, if not the biggest hitter that Gonzalez has faced to this point in his career. But Valoria is also 34 years old in a division where 34 is like 40 in the rest of boxing, you, you know? A bit long in the tooths. Yeah, and he's been in brawls. I mean, get those guys at those weight classes, sometimes they don't hit hard enough to, to knock each other down, yeah. so they just take punches all night long. Yeah, there's no doubt that Valoria... I've got balls of steel. <laughs> no doubt about that. And he's coming. From what he's saying, you know, leading into this fight, he's coming to get him, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's going to have to. Yeah. Look, one thing about Chocolatito Gonzalez, we've talked about... We've gone on endless, endless tirades about this guy's footwork, right? Mm-hmm. About his his ability to punch on the fly. You know, he punches on the move better than anybody in boxing. Yeah, his feet are never set, and he's punching. Yep, never set, but they're always in the right position. Right. Um, He's always leveraged to throw the right punch. We talked about this in the post-fight of the Juan Francisco Estrada versus Tyson Marquez fight a few weeks back. Mm -hmm. Go back and watch this week. I implore all the listeners of the tale of the tape to go back and watch Chocolatito versus Juan Francisco Estrada if you have not seen the fight yet. And pay attention to Juan Francisco Estrada. Just pay attention to him and what he's trying to do in the fight. Right. And if you focus just on Juan Francisco Estrada, you will literally, and, and don't look at Chocolatito, you will see his hands come into the, into the frame. Stare at Juan Francisco Estrada, and what you will see is every movement that Estrada makes, you will notice an opening, and then you will see a hand visit that opening and hit him. Chocolatito was able to take one of the best boxers in the world and literally sneak his offense into every single slot that Juan Francisco Estrada gave him. That's what he does. Nobody, there's not a single fighter. Mm -mm. You could watch film on Vasily Lomachenko and watch how he technically breaks down a fighter. Vasily Lomachenko will take whatever an opponent gives him. Right. He dissects and evaluates in the ring uh, almost second to none. But he is second to one. Yes. And that is Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. I, I would agree 100% with that. I mean, the guy has proven to everyone. Look at his meteoric rise. I mean, it's like he came out of nowhere two years ago. And all of a sudden, this guy, boxing fans and, and people who know boxing watch it and they go, man, that is, that is almost something I've never seen before. Like, this guy is, he's the, like, it's, is he the master? Is he the master of boxing right now. He's anything you could learn or do in the sport the right way in the ring. He's doing it. He's almost creating. It's like he's freelancing in there working on stuff that people don't 
have never even done before. Yeah. It's 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 amazing, dude. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Um it is it is really a sight to behold. It's funny because he he's he's always moving. Yeah. But to slow things down and watch everything that he does, it, it is yeah, people you know, we've talked about this too many times. You know, people mistake uh, sometimes when we get a little bit bored with the shenanigans of some of the uh like the Cuban style of fighting, right? Right. Um, that we just want bloodlust and, you know, we get yeah, freaking raging hard-ons for, you know, Triple G and David Lemieux. Right. Because we know it's just going to be an action fight, and that's all we want. There, I, I said it on the last episode. I will, I will continue to, to, to talk about and, you know, kind of shed a, and, and shine a positive light on the type of fighters like Chocolatito, Vasily Lemachenko, the guys that are defensive wizards but are non-stop relentless offensive machines yeah they can, they play defense while they are launching offense well, yeah why can't you do both i'll take both i, I want to see you a skilled defensive fighter i want to see you punch i want to see you move i want to see it all yeah why do you have to be so non-confrontational why do you have to take the road and literally like floyd mayweather you know just as well as i do vince that yeah, I get it. Okay, he wants to protect his brain, and he wants to come out of the sport with all of his you know, devices, and I get all that. Right. But you know damn well that a lot of the reason why he fought the way that he did was in defiance out of people that wanted him to do it a different way. Well, and I also think that he couldn't do it that way. I think if Floyd Mayweather decided to trade with, with some of the guys he fought, I, I don't think it would have been good for him. You think if he would have thrown down with Shane Mosley, even at Shane's old age, I, I, it just wasn't a good idea for him. He's not... He wasn't like a flowing combination puncher. He really wasn't. No, no. He was. Uh, he was when he was younger, and that's when he was fucking fun to watch. <laughs> now, yeah, but he was also bigger than everybody. Right. Right. You know, when he was fighting at 130 pounds, I mean, huge reach advantage. Yeah, he was five foot nine with a gigantic reach. Yeah. You know, and and you you know, as he came up to his natural weight, which he's fighting at now, mm-hmm. I think we would see less knockouts in boxing if everybody in boxing fought at their natural at their natural weight. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but as, as it goes to Chocolatito, I'm not sure what the limit is with him. I'm not sure where, where the ceiling is to be completely honest with you. I I can't foresee him moving past, um, the next step up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I can't really see him, um, jumping further past, um, you know, into junior bantamweight. Like, yeah, I know that there's this insatiable need. People want him to fight, um, in a way so bad, right? so bad but you know to me personally i don't i don't really froth for that fight as much because you know i've, I've been working on this piece for uh round by round boxing.com the five best body punchers in boxing and in a way is in my top five right and i think that he is you know his name the you know the monster is fitting i just don't think he is even remotely in the same class as roman chocolatito no I've, I've never been in that boat either i i, I get it that people want to say that but Chocolatito is just, I'm sorry, he's on a different level. He, he just is. He's got like 40 more fights than him, you know, yeah. or, 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 or 30, 35 more fights than him. Yeah. That's the next progression. If that's the fight everybody wants to see, fine. Okay? Chocolatito versus Inouye. I'm sure we'll see that in the next three years. I don't give a rat's ass about that fight. There's only one fight that I want to see after Chocolatito is done with Brian Valoria, and that is the rematch with Juan Francisco Estrada. That right there is the best fight in boxing to be made period i i 100 agree utah give me two (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. I mean, dude, look, I want to see Andre Ward versus Kovalev. Yep. Right? I want to see Lomachenko and Rigondeaux for, you know, for perverted purposes. Right. Um, you know, purposes that you can't really explain to somebody with common sense, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I want to see Golovkin-Lemieux. I want to see Cotto Canelo. I want to see all those fights. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's a fight you can make in boxing that couples skill, speed, precision, power, everything. Defense. Amen to that, brother. I I agree 100%. That is, right now, if somebody asked me what fight I would pay to see or want to see next, past what's coming later this year, this is it, man. What if... Canelo beats Cotto, and we have a unification fight at the, this time next year. Oh, yeah. Golovkin versus Canelo with Chocolatito Estrada 2 on the undercard. I, my, my head will explode, dude. I can't <laughs> handle that. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I, well, I think we're getting uh, uh, just a round as good um, oh, yeah. from this one. Brian Valoria is going to have to press the issue. He's going to have to come out. He's going to have his only chance in this fight is to make Chocolatito uncomfortable. Yep. I don't think there's anything that he can do. He's going to have to get grimy, dirty almost. Yeah, and 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 maybe he does. Right. I just see this fight. I, I talked about this on uh, on an episode of the Boxing Rant. I see this fight going just like this. I see Valoria doing that because that's the only thing that he can do. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see this fight looking almost exactly Almost exactly like Juan Francisco Estrada versus Tyson Marquez, where you have two, three years ago, Tyson Marquez was one of the best flyweights on the planet. Yep. People were talking about Tyson Marquez. uh, I mean, he was a legitimate, you know, I mean, now he's just, he's got so much mileage and nobody expected him to beat Estrada. Right. But the way that he came out in the opening five, six rounds against Estrada in that fight made you feel like it was Tyson Marquez reincarnate from 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 two or three years ago and he had success but Estrada was patient yep. and then Estrada did what Estrada did and he calculated saw what he was doing saw the opening to the body and broke his opponent I see the same thing happening here I'm not saying it's going to happen on body shots right not saying that at all but what I'm saying is is that the veteran is going to show signs of youthful exuberance yep. because he's excited and he wants to get in there and lay the wood but what's going to end up happening is is the professor in the ring is going to observe, he's going to record, and then he's going to beat him down. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I don't think, I, I really don't see it going any other way. Valoria is going to make it interesting. And, and for two or three rounds, people are maybe even going, What's up with this Chocolatito guy? I thought he was the best in the world. Of course you know? they will. Of course. You know, I knew it. You guys just jumped on the bandwagon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually, yeah, like you said, he's going to break him down going to pick his spots, and by the fifth, sixth, seventh round, it is going to be all Chocolatito the rest of the way. Yeah, I think Valoria is going to take an unnecessary risk, and I think he's going to get knocked out in the seventh round. Do you? Yeah. Man, that, that would be an, a very impressive win for Gonzalez. I, I, I see it going the distance. I don't know if he can get Valoria out of there, but if Valoria shows his age and shoots his wide early, yeah, I would not not be surprised to see the same thing. Yeah, I, I I mean, look, conventional wisdom tells you that Gonzalez is probably going to win a one eighteen to one ten decision, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, yeah, uh, you know, something uh, knock down here, knock down there, right? Um, that's conventional wisdom. You know, conventional wisdom says that Chocolatito goes in there and wins eight out of the four rounds, right? Um, I I don't know. I just think that what we're seeing right now is Chocolatito 
is literally I don't even know if he has reached his peak the peak of his powers yet no I, I don't either still 27 years old I think he just turned 28 28 yeah yeah that's that's the prime that's when your your physical abilities and your mental acumen of the sport they all they kind of mesh together at the same time like you figured it out in your head and you're at the peak of your physical strength that's what that's the boxer's prime right there and yeah you're right he could he's got another year or two of, of maybe improving from where he is now. Oh, man. That's that's a scary fucking thought right there. <laughs> oh, no, it really is. Uh, it really is. So your prediction, did, did, did I miss it? Was I not paying attention? No, I'm going to 10th round TKO Gonzalez is, okay. is, is what I have written down, but I, I could see it going the distance too. Either way, Gonzalez dominates the fight. Indeed. There you have it. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez versus Brian Deloria for the ring and WBC flyweight championship of the world. <laughs> That's going to be me sitting in my seat. <laughs> Just shooting fireworks off with my poncho on. <laughs> be like, who the fuck let this guy in the arena? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, let's get to some more fireworks. Toriano Johnson. All right, versus Eamon O'Kane in an IBF middleweight eliminator. Toriano Johnson has been waiting and waiting and waiting. We thought that Toriano Johnson was going to get that shot, that slot that Willie Monroe Jr. ended up getting. Yeah. He didn't. And he has not been in the ring since we saw him back in January on the debut of Throne Boxing um, when he was in the co-feature with Dusty Harrison. You're right. Um friend of the show and you know that performance against Alex Theron yeah he did what he was supposed to do he went in blasted him out no doubt about it there is this lingering thought there's a lingering sentiment all the way back from April 4th 2014 when Toriano Johnson went in the ring against Curtis Stevens and pretty much dominated him oh my god did he the entire fight and if it was not if it was not for a literally a last-minute left hook that stunned him for just a second, just enough, just a second, mm -hmm. and the referee jumps in and stops the fight. That was a terrible stoppage. Absolutely Ho horrible. And it has, it has completely changed the trajectory of Toriano Johnson's career. You think this guy's not hungry coming into this fight? Dude, <laughs> there may not be a more dangerous man fighting this evening yeah you know what i mean i mean there is lemieux and golovkin have to be dangerous because the other man will will kill them right if if they're not right brian valoria needs to be dangerous to try to upset the best fighter on the planet toriano johnson is pissed off yeah he's just and he's pissed off and he's an animal to begin with i mean he is just he comes so just rugged and just powerful and looks to just completely overwhelm you and get you out of there yeah, and Toriano Johnson's aggression in this fight is going to be met, I think, by um, some equal aggression. And, and, and a fighter from Ireland that some would consider to have taken some unnecessary risks in the ring. Eamon O'Kane, a guy that you and I don't know much about, right. to be completely honest. I don't think many American boxing fans know much about Eamon O'Kane at all, other than the fact that he has wiggled his way and earned his way into a position to fight this IBF middleweight eliminator against Toriano Johnson. 
but to assist us in uh, learning a little bit more about Eamon O'Kane, where he comes from, and what he is all about. Uh, I spoke with Steve Wellings from the Belfast Telegraph and the author of the Irish Boxing Review on an episode of The Boxing Rant to lend a little bit more insight on the career and the path of Eamon O'Kane. Yeah, I'm happy to give you a very brief, very brief background on Eamon O'Kane. Hopefully the listeners will um, endear themselves to O'Kane after this. I mean, he was a very good amateur, first of all, Kenny, mixed with the likes of James DeGale, George Groves, and Anthony Agogo, and he boxed as an amateur. So he has that those fo- foundations, those fundamentals, and he dabbled in the World Series of Boxing before turning pro, where he boxed on a few matchroom undercards. The reason he found his way onto those is because they were promoting Paul McCluskey at the time, who obviously fought Amir Khan, and then O'Kane was from the same region as McCluskey. They had Carl Frampton as well coming up on the undercards. But I think O'Kane's big breakthrough, probably domestically, was in the All-Ireland Prizefighter tournament. It was a bit like a Boxino tournament, and O'Kane definitely had the style, and he won that, and then I think he was 8-0 when he got his first loss to John Ryder, who's a sort of British-level Southpaw. And to be honest, with that loss, um, he took the fight at very short notice and he had to lose a lot of weight very quickly. And he took it against the advice of his team. And Ryder just routinely picked him apart after O'Kane rushed in a little bit too quickly early on. But the one thing I will say about Eamon O'Kane is... I think he's played the belts quite well. And what I mean by that is we all malign the involvement of the sanctioning bodies in the sport. But if you grab hold of like an international or an intercontinental or maybe a silver belt, you can undeniably climb the rankings of these organizations very quickly. And that's really what Heyman O'Kane has done. I mean, if you briefly look over his last few fights, you can see a very clear example of this strategy where he beat Kerry Hope for the vacant IBF intercontinental title. Uh, then he won a WBC International Silver title against Alvaro Guiona, defended his IBF Intercontinental belt against a relatively unknown Lithuanian, Virgilius Stapulionis. And I was at that fight, okay, and got dropped in the first round, looked absolutely terrible until Stapulionis got cut. And then O'Kane okay, escaped with a technical draw. And um, all three of those fights were actually on Carl Frampton undercards. So he has been pushed quite well, he's got good exposure. He's got a very solid fan base. This is this is a popular guy you're going to be watching in New York. And in his most recent bout, he made another defense of this IBF Intercontinental title where he boxed Lewis Taylor, who's a 16-0 guy from Sheffield, England, for the right for this Toriano Johnson eliminator. Now, he won by majority decision, but Taylor was severely untested as a professional coming in, had nothing of note on his record, and you had to question whether why he was pushed so highly in, in the IBF rankings. So basically, as I've outlined, Eamon is, is a guy who's really clung on against the odds to, to get this fight in his, his last few fights, and he's pushed himself into this shot by all accounts by manipulating the belts, winning these sort of intercontinental baubles, and he's found himself in this eliminator. So good luck to him, but um, yeah, it, it's not going to be easy. Steve Wellings from the Irish Boxing review dropping some knowledge on Eamon O'Kane big up to Steve Wellens thanks for dropping by on an earlier episode of the boxing rant and hopefully that shed some light uh some good information there on Eamon O'Kane huh yeah I mean I'm not gonna sit here and act like I, I knew anything so you know <laughs> I've, I've watched a couple YouTube videos I that doesn't make me an expert on Eamon O'Kane like he is yeah yeah um yeah it's 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 definitely nice to have a perspective of somebody that's actually seen the guy kind of up and coming because sometimes we see these guys that we don't know, and maybe sometimes they're international fighters, sometimes they're not. Right. But we don't know how they got where they are. Um, you know, what was the path and the road that they took to right. get into this position? 
And this is a position now learning what we've learned from our friends in Ireland about Eamon O'Kane. There's a lot on the line for this fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not a fighter that's young either. He's getting this chance now and he's, he better take advantage. I don't, you know, I don't think you can pull off what Steve was talking about, how he made his way up through the rankings, kind of just under the radar. It's, it's really strange. He popped out of nowhere and he's in a, he's in an eliminator fight. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the, I mean, that's the clever maneuvering of, of being promoted, of being promoted well and being handled properly. Mm-hmm. Right. The only hiccup on his resume was a decision that he didn't listen to his team. Exactly. Right. So now what you see is Gennady Golovkin has positioned himself to the, the importance of Golovkin Lemieux can't be, can't be, can't be, be over. It wouldn't have as much significance if the winner of this fight wasn't the mandatory to the WBC lineal belt right. that Miguel Cotto has. And the only reason why Golovkin versus Lemieux is the mandatory to that belt is because Golovkin purposely took the Marco Antonio Rubio fight because he had the belt that was necessary to achieve mandatory status. Detractors will say that Gennady Golovkin cherry-picked that fight to have some old burnt-out veteran that used to be good on his resume. That had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was a strategic move by the Golovkin camp. So what we've seen now is we have a guy in Toriano Johnson whose path was thwarted, was redirected by somebody else's judgment call that went against him and not in his favor. Eamon O'Kane has maneuvered, wiggled, and positioned himself and earned an opportunity. I think what we're going to see here, and if you want to learn more about this fight and the opinions and ideas and prognostications of Steve Wellings, you can tune in to the episode of The Boxing Rant where we go deep into this fight. But he believes, and I tend to believe after learning this about Eamon O'Kane, that we are in for an action-packed fight. Yeah, I mean, if O'Kane brings it the way Steve talks about uh we all know Toriano's going to be there he ain't scared of nobody this could be this could end up stealing the show to on on some levels you know yeah it really could yeah uh it's going to be hard ever I, I think from beginning to end what we're going to see is is you know the the next fight we're going to talk about Luis Ortiz I mean every single fight the Toriano Johnson name and okay fight that's going to be an evenly contested fight right Roman Gonzalez Brian Valoria High level, mm-hmm. high level fight right here. Um, and it's going to be ultra competitive for as long as it lasts. Same with Golovkin Lemieux. Um, Toriano Johnson and Eamon O'Kane, there's more on the line in this fight than in any of these fights, I think, because Gennady Golovkin and David Lemieux's careers are going to be just fine after their fight. Yeah, either one of them can lose and they're in good shape. Next fight, they're going to make money. They're going to be just the biggest stars they are coming into the fight. Absolutely. This fight right here is. A last-ditch effort for two guys in their early 30s, especially Toriano Johnson, who's now not only positioned himself for the IBF mandatory, which would make him the mandatory of David Lemieux's belt. Either way, he's also positioned himself to become a mandatory. He's behind Gennady Golovkin in the WBC rankings. Right. So either way, eventually, it looks like if Toriano Johnson gets past Eamon O'Kane, he's on a collision course for either Gennady Golovkin or David Lemieux. And Johnson ain't scared either. No, he's not. So your prediction for the fight? You know, I I just, I, when I watch Toriano Johnson, I just find it like the task of fighting him. I just, I could Exhausting. Yeah. I, and I don't know if O'Kane's ever been in the ring with a guy like Johnson. I don't know enough about the guys he's fought. I think it's something that he may not be ready for. I think Johnson 
is going to steamroll him. <laughs> I really do. Really? I, I really honestly do, yes. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, and that's spoken from, like I said, I you know, I haven't seen O'Kane enough. I just, the proposition of Johnson is just, he's a fucking beast, dude. Yeah. A beast. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a hard one for me to decide here, but I think that Toriano Johnson's will, will prevail, and I think a late stoppage is, is, is going to come, um, and it's going to be a brutal fight, mm-hmm. a brutal, brutal fight. Um, all right, so the last fight we're going to talk about on the October 17th HBO pay-per-view, Gennady Golovkin, David Lemieux card is Luis Ortiz versus Matias Vedondo. Luis Ortiz wanted Bryant Jennings in the ring with him. He wanted Berman Stavern. He wanted a top 10 fighter. He wants to catapult past these guys that he feels, I feel, I don't know how you feel. Oh, I, I know how I feel. <laughs> that I feel belongs way out in front of those guys. I feel that Luis Ortiz, as it stands today, is the third or fourth, fourth best heavyweight in the world. He belongs in the top five of every rankings based on how he, he just, he's a he's another beast, just a beast. He's a gigantic human being. Yes, he is. He's a southpaw. He's crafty. He comes from the Cuban school of boxing, and he has one intention. He wants to hurt you. Yeah. You know? Um, He's a scary proposition for any heavyweight right now. Brian Jennings said, pay me a million dollars. Yeah, of course, because you're going to fucking lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, he is. He, you would beat Bryant Jennings. Neither Berman Stavern or Bryant Jennings wanted to take it. That fight coming off of a loss. No. You're getting two losses in a row. I guarantee you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much, uh, uh, yeah, it's all but. Um, Vedando's never been out of Argentina. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to last very long, but no. it should be exciting, and people should get a good look at one of the very, very best and most dangerous men on the planet. I, I think that's a good way to describe Luis Ortiz. You can't look at these ratings and get an honest assessment of the guy because he's ranked eighth by the WBA. He's not even ranked by the WBC. Um, he's not even ranked by the IBF, which is bizarre. Yeah. Which is really, really bizarre. Um, he's ranked eighth by the WBO. And he's not, you know, and, and look, and even on uh, uh, fightnews.com's world boxing rankings, they don't even have him ranked. They have a guy. Look, I think that um, Joseph Parker is going to be a heavyweight champion one day. But they got guys like Vyacheslav Glaskov. That dude couldn't hurt a fly. He's a tiny heavyweight, too. He just lost to Steve Cunningham and was gift-wrapped a decision in that fight. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. Luis Ortiz, I'm spreading the myth and the legend about this guy. Oh, he bad. Yeah, he's a bad man, and he should blow Matthias Fedondo out. Um, Luis Ortiz isn't the kind of guy that's that you know. He's like, uh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna play around for his. I need rounds. No, he wants to be done as soon as possible. Yeah, he wants to eat dinner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he may be. King eating. Kong's hungry. <laughs> yes, King Kong is hungry, and he might be eating uh, Matthias Fedondo for dinner. That's for sure on October seventeenth. So that wraps up the preview. Um, I don't think that we need a prediction. We're both predicting. Uh, uh, knockout by the second round, yeah. tops. Yeah, knockout by the second round. That's a great prediction. Um, also, on October 17th, Lamont Peterson returns to the ring against Felix, Felix Diaz in a, um, yeah, you got shafted by Danny Garcia. Here's an easy million dollars, and we'll put you on TV. Um, about, isn't that what that is? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it, buddy. That's, um, this is the, this right here is the PBC card. This is a gift-wrapped for Lamont Peterson not making a scene after he got shafted in that fight. Time for a paycheck. Yep. 
thanks for taking one for the team. Thanks for being a company guy. Here's, yeah. your, here's your bonus. Um, and then in Carson, California, we got Donnie Nietis squared off against Juan Alejo, the junior fly weight kingpin returns to action. Um, a guy you're very high on, Albert Pragara, uh, does the deal against William Gonzalez in a junior featherweight bout. Pretty high on Pagara, you are? Yeah, big puncher, man. Big puncher. Um, yeah, so that'll be a, a pretty action-packed car. Jesse Magdaleno, um, a junior featherweight that a lot of people are really, really high on. Yeah. You see him a lot in top 10, top 20 prospect lists. Uh, very young, a lot of potential. Your boy, Demetrius Andrade, returns to the ring in, um, yeah, no, no cameras will be attending that fight whatsoever he he sent out a tweet something like yeah i'm gonna show the world that i'm the truth <laughs> no you're not <laughs> <laughs> nobody's gonna be watching that not fight. so fast my friend yeah no not so fast but apparently hank lundy's on that undercard did you know that oh he, he drew tba <laughs> yeah he drew tba <laughs> t he's in for it he is in for it uh kubrat pulev returns to the ranks always always curious to keep your eye on the top 10 heavyweights uh, around and then in Birmingham, England, um, not too, not real big on this Sam Eggington, Frankie Gavin fight, but I do have my eyes wide open and watching the rise of Khalid Yafai. Yeah, and Gavin's out, I believe, isn't he injured? Is he out of that yeah, fight? He's out of that fight now. So there's, Egg- a, there's a late fill in Eggington versus TBA. <laughs> they got one of uh, the PBC's TBAs. <laughs> <laughs> Can we borrow that guy? Hey, Al. You got any TBAs weighing around 147 or so? <laughs> <laughs> Khalid Yafai is, is the truth, dude. Oh, he's, he's exciting, a, isn't he? He's a beast, man. Yeah, he's exciting. He doesn't have many fights under his belt, but, man, once he gets some experience. Oh, he's going to be a contender for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But it is a busy weekend of fights. I know. It's a busy weekend insane. of fights. We might have to do two episodes to recap all of this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, we really might, which is fine. So get your popcorn ready then, because it is a two-episode recap week ahead for sure. Dude, I am absolutely exhausting. It is sweaty in here. Oh, my God. I have sweaty ball syndrome (laughs) (laughs) right now. Things are getting a little bit toxic. But this is what happens when you record two episodes in one day. And, um, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's what happens. It does happen. (laughs) Oh, that's what happens. Two be continued <laughs> to be continued so that will do it for episode 82 of the tale of the tape boxing podcast then we are approaching 100 episodes can you believe it what are we gonna do for that man we gotta figure something good out yeah we'll have a party <laughs> yeah the pants party invite everybody Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. Dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. All right. Anyways, back to the close of the show. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. For my co-host, Vince Cummings, who you can follow on Twitter, at VinceCummings81. I'm your host, Kenny Keith. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Kenny Keith Jr. Look us up on Facebook, Google+, Instagram. Drop us a line and rant with us podcast at theboxingrant.com we want to hear your voice but to all of the listeners of this show the tale of the tape for Vince and myself we thank you and we'll see you October 17th 
at Madison Square Garden for Triple G Lemieux. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Muchas gracias, everybody.